We experienced your fear and your pain when you had to leave your former home, when so many of your loved ones were left behind. And that is what we are feeling right now. You have to stop your device. Otherwise, it will destroy our planets as well. And billions will die. Do not let history repeat. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast for two Trek fans. Step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the exploding bridge. This is Tyler Orton gleefully zipping up Elnor's body bag. <laughs> We're this week to not just talk about uh, the latest episode of Picard Assimilation, but also the Discovery Season 4 finale coming home. I think a good place to start this episode with this big finale. Tyler, I have one question for you. You've watched the final episode of Season 4. Was the journey worth it? No. Like, <laughs> uh, oof, Cam, Cam. Based on the episode title alone, did you think that they were going to succeed with their mission? Um, yeah, I thought they might. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a spoiler right there. They should yeah, have actually yeah. called the uh, the finale uh, mission colon success, you know. like. Well, and there's even a part, uh, and I'm going to be, I think, a little kinder to this episode in some ways, but like, um, there's a point where they say, oh, we may be stranded like you know, decades away from Earth. And I thought, oh, is that the setup for next season? Which would maybe tie into the Calypso two-parter, or, or I mean, a short trek, perhaps. But I thought, okay, well, that's maybe a setup for something interesting. But nope, coming home. There you go. They made it home. Well, I when they said that, I immediately just figured, oh, that means that they will, you know, make good with Species 10C and they'll create a wormhole and that's how they'll get home. And guess what? About uh, 15 minutes later, that's what exactly what happened. So I I don't know. They're just kind of telegraphing how everything would unfold. Now, as you said, you might be a little kinder to this one. If this was like the final episode in a three-episode arc, uh, uh, one in which, say, the destruction of planet Qui-Gon Jinn was the teaser in the episode one, and then essentially episode two followed, dealing with kind of the discovery, no pun intended, of the DMA. Then we have episode uh, two of this three-episode arc it would have delved into whether to make first contact or whether to go ahead and uh, attack. And then the, this could have been the finale. Maybe even squeeze in the uh, previous episode, the penultimate episode uh, titled Species 10C. I think it could have been a, a very satisfying three to four episode arc here. I, I like that this is one of the Star Trekiest episodes we've gotten, despite a lot of the um, brute force sort of stuff that always irks me about Discovery. And I think in a vacuum, I, I can appreciate what this episode is doing. But the fact is, and we've complained about it, you are stretching, you know, 
four episodes of story across 13 episodes, and if this is the culmination, it just doesn't quite work for me. There, there's lots of other stuff to appreciate about this, but what's your initial takeaway on the season four finale of Discovery? I think for me, this episode might be my second ep- favorite episode of the season, but that is with the huge caveat that I found the journey here incredibly frustrating and often a bit tedious. And this episode gave me a lot of things I really enjoyed in Star Trek, the communication back and forth with 10C. But I think the problem was they dragged out things so, so much that there was nothing really profound that this episode could offer that would make me go, oh, wow, mind blown. It was like a really solid first contact episode of Star Trek that I enjoyed. Um... You know, the Tarka stuff didn't really pay off, and I'm sure we'll dive into all that, uh, you know, in the next few minutes. But it just kind of left me both frustrated with the season, but also having to admit to myself this was probably the second best season finale we've gotten on Discovery. Yeah. I, I, I You know what? I, I think you're a bigger fan of uh, Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2 than I am, but I, I would still probably give that the uh, the nod over this one. I think just yep. because of uh, what it delivered, kind of on an emotional basis, just with, you know, say, uh, Burnham and Spock. A, a lot of the uh, nonstop action sequence stuff got a little tedious in that one. But other than that, it's like we, we thought the whole Radioactive Man Boy finale was terrible. The uh, season one finale, Will You Take My Hand, was just a complete deflating like let down you know so i agree with you and i guess if we're on kind of a sliding scale here yeah i'll give it that um ultimately though i I mean we can dive into this Uh, maybe let's not bury the lead here but uh tilly's back uh guiding those cadets and um (laughs) i'm i i I, I am still at a loss as to what happened with mary wiseman uh this season and that it does not feel as if her arc came to an end I, i know that they were saying with Tilly, like, hey, yeah, you know what? I'm feeling different now ever since, you know, we had Osira make me look like a total fool. I'm going to go and teach at the academy. It, it just it didn't feel like an actual closure for this character. We see her once again. I, I, I don't think she's going to be back uh, full-time on this Discovery crew next season. Do, do you? I didn't get that indication, and I, I think a lot of the theorizing is going to prove accurate with her as more likely the lead of a Starfleet Academy show. It feels like they're tipping in that direction. The only thing I was wondering was, when she shows up at the end here with Vance um, during the whole, you know, explosions and what have you, I was like, did they reverse engineer her leaving just so that Vance would have someone to stand next to during this sequence? Oh, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's what they were trying to do. Uh, you I know. hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that would have had to take a uh, a heck of a lot of planning in advance. I think what likely happened is uh, there's some interseason discussions uh, about what they wanted to do with Tilly's character, and I. But here's the thing: when when Tilly left, I honestly didn't think it would take like eight episodes to see her show up on the series again. I thought that maybe she'd pop in here or there. You know, they spend so much time at you know Federation slash Starfleet headquarters. It was just, this was just a very, very strange departure for a character as well. And speaking of which, Cam, whatever happened to Gray? It's, you introduce like the first like real effort to have like a trans character here on Star Trek. And they never had a good grasp of even the character's constitution. And it was just always a frustrating uh, 
character developments that we had to go through with this uh, uh, this character. And ultimately, you know, he was just kind of left to go off to Trill halfway through the season, never to be heard from again. It, it was just so odd, especially just kind of where we left the relationship between him and Adira. And I'm just, I don't know, like, like it just feels as if the writers did not do right by the first, you know, uh, trans, non-binary couple that we got in Star Trek. Yeah, the gray one is really frustrating, but it's also just emblematic of a real issue this whole season had, which would be just dropping characters unceremoniously. It's just I think the gray one, you have much higher expectations, as you said, being the first, you know, trans main character on Star Trek or, you know, recurring um, important character on the show. And I just, that same thing could apply, you know, less importantly, but with characters like what happened with Dr. Kovic? who was like muttering about having important things to do and then just like wandered off the show, you know, like three episodes ago. And also, um, you know, uh, was it Reese? Uh, was it Reese? Who's the one? Oh, no. The- it, it was, uh, I, I have this in my notes because I laughed when they're all walking down the corridors oh. at the very end of the episode because uh, they go on vacation and they're wondering, I wonder if Bryce can join us only if Dr. Kovic lets him go. Ha 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 ha. It was like this meta yeah. joke about like just how directionless some of these characters ended up by the end of the season. And, like, they would just literally be like, well, I'm kind of busy over there. See you later. And they would just walk off camera. And you're like, okay, I would assume they're going to be back in an episode or two. Nope. Nope. No resolution whatsoever. And um, very strange. I I didn't really know what to make of it because I was talking to, you know, a friend of the show, Scott Hardy, um, beforehand, just about the the final kind of moments of this episode and that, like, I, I guess, have you seen anything about this, Tyler? That, like, it was con- basically established as something that could have been a finale if the show didn't get renewed with, you know, Earth rejoining and what have you? Well, I think that's how they approach uh, all series nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, in terms of that, yes, it could have been an ending, but I made the point of, like, and yet very strange for a show to theoretically potentially end when you've had characters just be like, I, I got to go over there. I'll be right back and <laughs> never coming back. Very unceremonious for so many of these characters. Mind you, they were all supporting characters, I guess, but it, it still feels like a bit of a tra- betrayal. Like, like I, the Tilly stuff is just, that, that sticks up like a sore thumb, you know? And, and that's kind yeah. of what I, 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 I'm kind of still cringing at right now, you know? So, I don't know. Um, <laughs> the other thing I was wondering about is like, where, where did all the civilian inhabitants go that uh, they're already aboard you know the federation headquarters slash starfleet headquarters you know did they drop them off on trill on the way on that warp speed in a space station that has <laughs> modular warp capabilities as well which it just to me it, it all seemed like silly magic that was one of those effect sequences where i was like i don't really know what i'm looking at at the moment but it <laughs> seems silly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I I don't know, like it's like I I I know I can like pick apart some of the problems with this episode. I, I say overall it's a fine episode of discovery, but not when you look at it from kind of a holistic perspective of this is where things were leading up to by the very end. And and you can tell that the writers reverse engineer everything to get to their destination no matter what, no matter how much you have to stretch episodes out, the storylines and all that. And they, they do it in a manner in which they are so self-satisfied by the end of it all. Mm-hmm. Oh, they really are. I mean, 
I don't know if you noticed this, Tyler, but um, I think they really unlocked this season with this finale. I don't know if you caught on. It was about connection. I would not have figured that out uh, had they not repeated that words about, eh, about 20 times uh, so far. And, and th- this even goes back to uh, season three as well. Yeah. They kept saying connection in that season too. And I'm just like, okay, we get it. So <laughs> what's season five going to be about? Deeper connections? We're going to go back to Tether. It's about Tethers. Oh, okay. I don't okay. know. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I thought that it was um, just such a strange kind of way to structure your finale where clearly, like, this was very much the book story this entire season. Because when we get to this meeting with Species 10C, it's really book, you know, having the conversation with them that kind of resolves everything, which is Definitely a first for, I think, a Star Trek show where it's just like a non-Starfleet character having the biggest impact on the overall story arc and essentially resolving everything. Um, interesting oh, I in that regard. I uh, disagree with that. No. Uh, what oh. about Odo? Oh, good point. You're right. You know what? Odo, that definitely counts. Yeah. And I, b- I bet uh, Seven of Nine has done uh, that uh, in many a Voyager episode, too. Yeah. No, that, yeah. You're right. You're right. I guess I was thinking... More in the sense of, like, Odo is such a part of day-to-day operations on DS9 and 7 on Voyager, whereas, like, Book, it's sort of this less well-defined role within, you know, um, Discovery. It's very unclear why he's still hanging around. Him and his ship are still hanging around on the shuttle bay, you know, at least in most episodes before he and Tarka went rogue. Yeah, yeah. So it's just an interesting direction for a show that... We had a pretty solid crew built up in the first few seasons, and the fact that when you get to season four, a lot of them are given next to no arcs whatsoever, if at all, um, and the show is being driven primarily by a character who just joined in season three. It's interesting, I suppose, but I don't know that it was satisfying in execution for me. Yeah, but, like, I, I yes, in execution. I understand it thematically in that, like, his journey was the driving force of the entire season. Like his motivations were the driving force. If not for him, Tarka would not have even had the chance to try to kind of destroy uh, the species 10 C and get back uh, to this other mirror universe or parallel universe, I should say with Oros. And I have to say this, like it was brought up and as with discovery, sometimes it's just dealt with on a superficial level, but I was kind of disappointed that they floated the whole idea of, uh, you know, uh, parallel universes and we never really explored anything interesting until you know jet was spelling out what we already know is you know you know, people might look the same in such a parallel universe but it's not them and i think book could understand that as well yeah and i mean i guess by the time you get to the finale they haven't really explored parallel universes at all so it's more of just you know a MacGuffin. it's what tarka wants it could have been anything really um but they just used it for that. Um, the Tarka thing was weird, and that, like, again, we've talked about it, where it's a character I thought was really compelling in a lot of ways, but kind of just fell into that sort of, I don't know, just kind of delusional madman mode by the end here. Um, but there was ambiguity about what happened to him at the end, which I thought was at least a little interesting. What, what do you choose to believe in your own brain? Um, I feel like, the fact they show him tinkering around with that whatever it is doodad implies he pulled off something. 
either way, it doesn't really matter because the character was so consumed with grief and, you know, torment that he found peace in the end, whether it was through death or through perhaps finding this alternate dimension. But yeah, I, I tend to think like you insert a shot like that because I'm supposed to read something into it. It's they leave the door open. I, I think it's like if you look at the uh, the mechanics of the universe, it's probably very unlikely that he succeeded. It doesn't matter. They can bring him back for whatever reason. But it also leaves the door open to think that he kind of got away with everything and that he succeeded, no matter all the damage that he caused here. And that's kind of a, I don't know what the message is or the lesson to be learned from that, you know? It's about connection, Tyler. I don't know if <laughs> you caught on. <laughs> Speaking of which... <laughs> Um, did you for an instant believe that Book actually was dead when, uh, you know, he's about to transport over and then it stopped? No, that annoyed me. Um, because it was the classic Disney death where we get the emotional weight of someone dying without ever quite thinking they're actually going to die. Um, although I was making a note that I would give the show serious points if that was the death of Book. <laughs> <laughs> it just disappears in a transporter beam. I, I'm just saying, yeah. it, it did irk me because I think they wanted to give SMG that moment to really get emotional. But the whole time I was watching, I was like, oh, yet another example of Discovery, you know, having its cake and eating it too. Because I'm just like, this is not really how uh, Book is going to go out with, with you know, is it, that, that's it's the sort of stuff, if I can kind of like figure out what's going to happen before it actually does happen, it's like, I don't know, it feels as if I, I, the viewer, is ahead of the show, and it's playing catch-up with me the entire time. And if I'm going to see someone go in a transporter accident, it better be like the motion picture, where I go, mm, finality. There, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, speaking <laughs> of people that I was pretty convinced did die, um, General Nadoya, after, after she clearly <laughs> knew she totally effed up there, and her face showed it, and she gets her little redemption arc, I, I guess, you know, uh, to save Detmer or make sure that Detmer is still around. Um, I was very surprised when she shows up at the end with um, President Stacey Abrams there. Um, and for listeners, you and I, we, we are not American, so I... I, I I know who Stacey Abrams is. She, she's kind of a, a very uh, well-regarded politician um, for uh, many people, uh, depending on uh, where you are in the political spectrum there. Um, does this moment land for anyone outside of kind of the, the um, I, I guess, U.S.-based Democrats? I, I, I wonder, Cam. For me, it didn't. I didn't realize even who it was until I saw a news story, I think the following morning or something. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, like I, I follow Paul, you know me, like I, I follow politics mm -hmm. quite closely. So I knew it instantly. And I was just like, um, for me, I was just like, okay, like it, if, on like the total, like good faith way of the show producing things that they're making a statement there they're they're uh, bringing attention to somebody who's being like kind of a, a very critical figure inspirational figure for many folks out there right now i also want to hope uh, that it was them kind of um i don't want to use the word trolling but trying to like poke at the uh contingent of, of terrible fans out there that uh would get angry that they would ever show somebody like this and showcase them in, in a positive light and i'm just like eh, go for it but i just uh for me i i got the moment i just wonder if this is going to land for audiences globally 
uh, the same way that it would land for uh, like audiences in the U.S. Um, so I don't know. It just I, okay. I guess what I'm getting at though is like the moment took me a little bit outside of the episode, in that I knew who she was, what they're trying to do, and the fact of the matter is, I, she's not an actress, and you could kind of you remember last week I was kind of. Um, I don't know, giving that one Romulan actress a bit of a tough time when uh, she was hmm. the one the cheering with uh, with Elnor in the streets of Okinawa. After seeing like some non-actors try to do it, I'm like, you know what, I, I should give like pr- pr- the professionals, you know, uh, some kudos more often than I than I do. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a little bit stilted. It didn't really pull me out in terms of performance that much because I think. Uh, Discovery's had a few stilted performances here or there. Um, this one I said, okay, that's fine. I mean, it's a pretty minor role, President of Earth. I was like, okay, cool. That's fine with me. It it didn't really, um, even if I wasn't familiar with, you know, the individual playing the character in that moment, it didn't really mean anything to me either way. Like, it, the performance didn't bother me. Yeah. Uh, I gotta ask, uh, so, uh, book breaks law after law after law even fires <laughs> off a uh, uh an illegal weapon and he gets community service is that uh is that just how it works in the federation cassidy yates got prison right yeah only for a couple months uh, though so that's true that's true um yeah. he didn't say how long the community service would last so uh, maybe it's a long time because <laughs> even burnham's saying like i don't know how long it will be but but just how many refugees were displaced by the DMA? Uh, you know, like Qui Gon Jinn or Planet Qui Gon Jinn was absolutely destroyed. Um, they had to pull some people onto Federation ships in the finale. Um, I I don't know. <laughs> Is it one week of community service and he's good to go back uh, as a courier again? I have no idea. It's I think when you give him the big communication scene with uh, Species Ten C at the end, it's like. That's supposed to win him enough points to get him community service, I suppose. But you are right. Like, this this guy caused a lot of <laughs> catastrophic damage and uh, fatalities. So are he and Burnham, are, are they broken up? Are they on a break? What is their relationship status? If it's Facebook, would you call it, quote-unquote, it's complicated? I would definitely put that as the status. Um, I would say they're together, but separated by distance for now i'm sure we will have a uh you know amazing reunion some point uh probably next season with sweeping music and what have you yeah i so i want to go back to what you brought up though about how this could have been the series finale if it did not get renewed for season five how would this have worked for you as a series finale of discovery it would not have gone very high on my series finale rankings because I think it's just, well, I mean, it's coming off of a season that was like a flat line for much of it. And it doesn't do that much to raise the level of energy of the show that much higher. And so I'm really just looking at it on paper, being like, okay, um, the you know the Federation seems to be in decent shape. Burnham's a captain. All is good. That's the end. So I guess on paper it's fine, but it doesn't have, it ain't all good things. It doesn't have the gravitas. It doesn't have the sort of poignant ending to it. It's just like, it makes sense if you connect the dots on paper. Yeah, except for the original series, you you get the sense by the end of all the other finales that it's not just going to be status quo 
from here on out. And it feels as if this one is kind of like, you know, status quo uh, goes back once again. And, you know, everybody's just there to kind of get along. I don't know, the big sacrifice of the season, General Nadoya, who remarkably came back alive somehow. Uh, I, I, you know, Tarka kind of helped out at the end. Like, I, this is why this there just wasn't that much tension going for me. And if this was going to be, you know, the series finale, I, I would have felt quite underwhelmed by it and, and disappointed. And also the meeting with Species 10C. And I like a f- good uh, first contact scene on Star Trek. Um, but like, what was the resolution to that, that you wouldn't have been able to predict? You know, they met, they, you know, told them what the problem was and species 10 C felt bad about it and said, we will put a stop to it. Like the only thing that felt outside of what you would predict, I think really from almost day one was that they brought book back to life essentially or saved his life um but beyond that there was nothing there that you wouldn't have just assumed it would be great if um i don't know they explained everything to species 10c that was going on and the translation saru got back was well sucks to be you you know it's kind of <laughs> like that, that would have thrown me for a loop there i i guess um I, i'll say this the, they looked phenomenal. I, I was mightily impressed by just uh, how they rendered them. Uh, it's kind of, I, I can say confidently, this is not really a, a species like anything we've seen before in Star Trek. So that was very creative. But ultimately, them saying like, oh yeah, we, we didn't think you were as smart as it turned out that you were. Pretty much the equivalent of us going to kind of an ant colony and, and crushing it on the ground uh, to drill for oil. And finding out that maybe the ants were a lot smarter, they had families and all that. And we're like, okay, well, we won't drill in that ant hole anymore. And we'll look out uh, for other ant hills. Not hill. I said, I said ant holes. Uh, <laughs> uh, ant hills, I should <laughs> look say. Look out for those too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, then ultimately it's like, no, it can't just be ant hills. It has to be no drilling everywhere was the ultimate, like, resolution. And so it's kind of like okay get out of your hyperfields gotta live a little on the edge every once in a while i suppose so i don't know um well okay speaking of connection what did you think of the revelation that um they're connected very much like how the borg are that we gotta i think this is discovery's first borg reference um for me i actually was thinking more like you know the change lanes or the great link there um i and also like kind of the explanation about like how uh with humanoids you know kind of like the one or many and the many are one like that's kind of an interesting thing too i actually wrote a note link uh, linked equals great link because i thought the same thing in terms of the changelings on ds9 yeah and i thought they good did a good job representing that on screen because that can be a tough concept to get across um especially with a species we've spent no time with whatsoever um, and to just do it in like, what, 15, 20 minutes. Um, I thought they did a decent job. And like you, I really appreciated the visual design and the world building going on. Just seeing those weird floating, whatever they were, platforms or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I like that they took a bit of a different approach versus the classic Trek show up. And it's, you know, something kind of humanoid or something that when you look at it, you feel like you can communicate quite easily. This was something where you look at it and be like, I don't quite know how to communicate with this. And the show obviously took some steps last episode to set that up, but I thought they did a pretty good job paying that off. 
I don't know. I'm just disappointed that they didn't start explaining the rules of baseball to uh, Species 10C. Like that would have been uh, that would have been a nice throwback. I honestly thought we might have more of a Trekkie ending with um, Tarka staying with Species 10C or something. Because when they saved Book, I thought, oh, I wonder if they saved Tarka as well from the explosion. And maybe the ending would be something a la, you know, the Corbomite maneuver where you have the crew member staying behind with... Um, you know, with Baylock to drink Tranya or something. Like, I thought, oh, maybe that could be a new endeavor for the life of Tarkas, spending time with Species 10C and helping them rejoin the galaxy using his intelligence there. Like, I thought there might be some sort of redemption story to Tarka there versus what we got. Uh, I gotta ask you this. You know, you and I we kind of predicted a lot of the big beats that ended up manifesting throughout the season. One thing that I got wrong, though, is I thought that there'd be some sort of grand significance to Zora's ascension in mm-hmm. sentience by the end of this. She would have a, a strong link to first contact with Species 10C. But again, it's one of those things where you're kind of like, hey, we create this brand new character and we don't really get a good sense as to the necessity of Zora's development. Like, I I thought what they're telegraphing, and and this is just using kind of, you know, kind of the the typical literary shorthand or storytelling shorthand, is that there would be something, you know, revelatory to come. And that just didn't happen. I I suppose that could happen in season five. Uh, They've seemed obsessed with this sphere data since season two, but I, I was... It left me kind of scratching my head by the time we got to the end of this. And I had almost forgotten about her by the time we got to uh, the end of this episode, too. Well, it makes me reflect and go, wait, was the only reason we had that whole Zora emerging consciousness thing um, on the show to give Grey something to do? Because you're right, like it didn't pay off in a meaningful way in the finale. And then it's like, well, why were we doing this whole much ado about nothing then with you know, Zora being conflicted and having issues with dealing with, you know, emotions and instinct and all that sort of stuff. And Dr. Kovic trying to step in and give advice and whatever. I'm like, that's fine if you want to build a single episode of Trek around it. But to continue that thread for like, I don't know, two or three episodes in a 13 episode season, you feel like it's going to dovetail at the end and mean something in the finale. But you know what? The same could be said for a lot of characters being like, I got to go. I'll be right back. See you later. It just felt like that's something that was very common on Discovery this season. I guess not just with characters, but also emerging plot points that just didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. They give uh, uh, Grey something to do in the episode Stormy Weather. Was it the next episode that Grey took a hike and went to Trill to become a guardian and never to be seen again in the rest of the season? Pretty much, yeah. And it felt, at least at the time of watching that episode that maybe Gray had found his calling on the ship and maybe we were going to yeah. have an, a, maybe Gray looking to become a counselor and that would take weight off of Culber because he was feeling overwhelmed. Like, maybe that could be the direction we're going. Nope, nope, never mind. Who are the characters best served uh, throughout the course of the season? I know we talked a lot about Culber having an interesting arc and I think Wilson Cruz got a lot of material, but at the end it felt kind of flat of just like, well... I'm just here with my family. I was like, okay, well, fine. So who was served the best? I think probably Book, right? It felt like Book had the most dynamic character arc, but there was a lot of kind of miserable grief stuff that's not particularly fun to sit through for three or four episodes. Well, I, okay. I, I'll go with Book as well, but but hear me out. It, it's like, 
I think they gave him a lot of like garbage, like uh, mm-hmm. dialogue and uh, just trash stories. Like the, the whole episode with his dad ghost, you know, was like I forgot brutal. about that. <laughs> yes, um, but like the, the deal is, um, David Ayala just hit everything out of the ballpark. Like all the stuff he was given, like he needs to come back for season five. You know, like um, like like no matter what garbage he was given, like he just kept hitting home runs. So let look, this was I, I think the most you know. Uh, I guess it's not like I would consider him a minor character, but you know, I guess when season three started, I, I would have considered her him. You know, despite being in the main credits, he still had Giorgio and Stamets and, and uh, uh, Tilly around. I think he's kind of now kind of the um, the the biggest character after Burnham. Um, you know, I, Burnham had her own. Okay, this is what bugged me about Burnham's journey throughout this season. It all has to do with what her boyfriend was up to. And when you define your lead character by their partner's relationship, it makes your lead character more of a passenger. And especially when it's like a woman character and it's uh, defined so much by her boyfriend throughout the course. And that's your lead. I'm just like, ah, guys, like I, I wish you were finding something in to make your lead more of an active agent within all this. Yeah, I agree. And I did like the moment where it looked like he'd been killed and the way that Burnham had the instant grief but then switched back into command mode. Like, I thought that was a cool moment for the character. But you're right. Like, in terms of just an overall story arc for the season, it's it's not great when you, this is Burnham's journey. Like, it's a character, I think, who had so much promise in the early goings of the show and the last couple seasons, I've just kind of felt frustrated by what they're going. They pulled back on a, some of the melodrama of last season. Like, Burnham didn't cry every episode this season the way she did last um, in season three. But uh, it just felt like, to me, Burnham had an arc this season, but it wasn't a dynamic one and not one that sticks with me. It often felt kind of muddy. I think she acquitted herself well as a captain. First time, full season, we got to see her as captain. I, I thought there'd be a lot more storylines about her going rogue and, and playing by her old rules, but she seemed to be a uh, a reasonably capable uh, leader, uh, despite some questionable decisions at times. So I appreciated that. Um, Cam, why is Saru still on the show? Uh, I can't answer that at this point. Um, they like the actor, was... they like the character, but it's just, it, it would boggle my mind if he is still around in the same capacity in season five. Like maybe he's an admiral next season or something like that. Maybe there is a very significant storyline in which you need him to be in command of the USS Voyager or whatever, and there's going to be a lot of back and forth, but having him just serve as first officer to Burnham when she was his first officer, briefly, very briefly in season three, I think it just continues to devalue Saru as a character. And I think part of the problem, too, is that every season is pitched in terms of what the grand problem is of the season. It's tied to something for Burnham. It's driven by the Burnham character in many ways, which Saru, it means he's always going to be an outsider to this. He's always the guy standing next to your main character lending support which isn't a particularly compelling thing to always be doing on screen. I did like the little love story with Tarina. Like, that was sweet. Yeah. And it had a nice ending to it. Um, and it was one of the few 
I think, genuine human moments of the season was having this ongoing relationship stuff with Saru where I wasn't rolling my eyes. Like, I'm not going to lie. When we had the happy montage at the end of this episode and we had those characters all holding each other and jumping up and down, I was howling. (laughs) I'm totally blanking. What was the uh, Saru uh, President Tarina uh, part of the montage? Uh, Not President. uh, No, they aren't. in. I mean, like that moment, that human moment meant something to me versus the happy montage of the crew having their quote-unquote human moment that's what i mean in comparison between the two i know i know i i agree with you there um there was some remark he made though in what she was talking to tarina he said you know i've avoided a certain type of closeness since leaving kaminar and it actually made me think about this it could be interpreted two different ways does he mean when he left kaminar in the 23rd century or when he left Kaminar earlier this season as kind of the elder one who had uh, Sukal as his ward. What was your interpretation when you first heard him say that to Tarina? I would prefer to believe the original leaving of Kaminar yeah. versus the time with Sukal, which I would like to wipe from my brain permanently. <laughs> Do we ever see Sukal again? Probably. I think, whoa, okay. do we see him? You know what? Look, now I'm backtracking. I think we, we hear the name, but I don't know that we see him again. We only have 10 episodes to go. That's true. That's true. But maybe just like a name mention. Yeah, I am of the mind, and I got a lot of backlash uh, when I kind of posited this in a Facebook thread. Uh, like, I'm pretty certain season five will be the last one. And the fact that you were referencing that there might be I, I would have to look at the story myself and see what the, the source was or if it's just rumors. But um, if there's a story out there that uh, this could have potentially served as the f- series finale and they've given just a 10 episode order rather than the usual, you know, 13 to 15 episode order, that's kind of telegraphing to me that they're ready to wrap things up at the end of season five. And so uh, do they have time in 10 episodes to bring Sukal back to give some closure to Saru? Maybe. I prefer not. I prefer spend those moments with Tarina, who I find to be far more compelling than uh, Sukal. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, when you look at where we're at at the end of this episode, what does Discovery have left to do to you? Like, is there anything left that is dangling still that we need to pay off that feels like compelling reasons to come back for season five? I do not feel as if they've mined the opportunities of the time jump whatsoever because the two season-long arcs that they've had have really had nothing to do with the fact that they've jumped through time. Okay, you could say, sure, the burn happened, but that could have taken place... um, They they could have done something else uh, to make that a ongoing story. You know, know, pinpointing... Uh, where exactly a uh, wide-ranging disaster happened. Let, okay, let, let's say instead of blowing up all the Starfleet ships in Season 3, all, all that resulted from a 23rd century burn. It was like dilithium stopped, and there was no warp-capable ships anymore. And so you had Discovery doing the spore drive thing. Like, you could have told that story elsewhere, because there really wasn't anything else going on, because I don't think they really did anything interesting with the fact that, you know... The Federation is just a shell of its former self because, you know, we get to the end of this season and look, it's just like, yeah, we keep adding more planets and more planets and more planets. It's like, okay, and look, this whole Species 10C thing, that could have been done in the 23rd century as well. So I think they really need to do something interesting with the current time setting that they're in 
as they wrap up uh, what I think is going to be the, the, the final run of the uh, series moving forward. And you never really got a sense of characters out of time. Like they showed up and were surprised by the circumstances of the Federation, but it never felt like they really had to struggle to, you know, stand shoulder to shoulder with the other members of, you know, Starfleet that were around. Or it felt like they were very quickly heralded as like the great saviors. And that was that. Yeah. Um, Kim, you and I will come back. I think you and I always need to breathe after seeing a finale. We'll come back, maybe do our kind of episode rankings, but I'm going to put you on the spot right now. I, I feel fairly confident about what my season rankings are. Uh, do you have, you know, just off the top of your head, how would you rank the seasons, uh, the first four seasons of Star Trek Discovery as of now? I think I would probably go two, one, three, four. Yeah, I, I'm pretty yeah. close. I'm one, two, three, four, which means <laughs> for me, the show's gotten worse and worse and worse as it's gone on. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, I was going to shout out one little thing, which was a nice touch. Um, they mentioned the USS Yelchin, which I would assume yeah. was a reference to Anton Yelchin, which, you know, we didn't mention that earlier in the review, but I want to just mention that now because it was a nice little touch. Uh, we also had the USS Mitchell. Uh, I, I wish it had been called the USS Gary. That would have been uh, better. <laughs> uh, too bad. Uh, also, I liked how um, Vance is like, give that captain a, or re, he said to Tilly, remind me to give that captain a commendation. Uh, what if Tilly forgot and this captain um, <laughs> later found out that he was going to get a commendation, but uh, it, it just kind of slipped through the cracks. And that captain was Captain Sukal. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be amazing if the Tilly spinoff features one cadet to call. Bill Irwin comes back. <gasps> oh my god! I would, I would be, I would totally be watching this. I'd totally be watching this. You know what? Would you be more or less interested in Sukal being one of the cadets than the uh, the two alien characters who show up in the finale that we saw previously? You mean the ones with the terrible, terrible makeup that looks like horrendous and plastic? Like, yes. that Tellarite makeup, I don't know. Okay, you look at Enterprise, and the Andorian makeup and the Tellarite makeup was absolutely fantastic. I don't know how you turn it into, like, this Halloween mask, $30 cheap shit that, like, just turns out here. Like, I, I was exquisitely disappointed. They've done that with the Orions as well. With, like, the, the Orion guy, like, looked, like, super plastic as well. I, I was just, what's going on here? Because the um, makeup team has done... Some exceptional work, otherwise. But with these types of aliens, they've consistently looked terrible. Uh, we were complaining about the uh, Orions last season too. The Orion makeup to me looks like that oil-based makeup that is like waterproof. If you throw water on it, it just slides right down. Um, but it has that sheen to it. It never looks dry. Like it looks kind of icky, and I, I don't know. It's it's head scratching to me. Yeah. All right, Cam. Well, look, we'll we'll. we'll digest this we'll, we'll sit on this i think you and i need to come back in a couple of weeks and kind of uh, give our overall takeaway on the season as a whole i think it was uh, a pretty disappointing season i think the finale was actually fairly decent but does it make up for everything else that happened I, i'd say no but it's it would have been a good standalone star trek episode if we didn't have to think of what it all added up to i guess yeah, like if this had been an 8 to 10 episode season, I think I might be a little more up on the season. But as it was, okay finale, you know, enjoyed parts of it quite a bit, but does not salvage a real, real long ride to the fireworks factory. 
<laughs> well, my big fear about season five, though, is like it, it's going to be them kind of taking their time with just ten episodes, and then like the last six ep- or last four episodes, it's just going to be them trying to cram everything plot wise in as possible, and it's just going to feel like a very very rushed end to the series. I'm also worried they're just going to strip out character moments to fill up even more plot to cover those 10 episodes. Yeah. All right, Cam, why don't we jump over to Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 3, Assimilation. I hated everything about the teaser in what you leave off on a cliffhanger with guns pointed at the crew. And how do they get out of the situation? Well, Cam, they beat them up and vaporize them. I'm just like, oh, okay. So it's just, you know, once again, you just brute force your way out of everything. Like, I... And I, I by the end of this episode, where we get a cliffhanger that hangs on... Rios's combat. Hmm. I am very fearful about the lessons perhaps not learned in season one of Picard going forward. But uh, what, what was your initial takeaway on assimilation? I thought like overall it was a fairly engaging continuation of the story, but I had the same issues you did. Like Elnor dying. Let's not bury the lead on that one. Um, although maybe Elnor's buried. I don't know. But um... <laughs> <laughs> let's, bury the, let's bury the Romulan on that one. Yeah, okay. This annoyed me because the death was given more pomp and circumstance than the, you know, potential book death on Discovery. But I feel very confident it's going to be undone because if it's not, what is the story of Eldor? <laughs> because this character who Picard abandoned as a child, he joined his crew for one season and was ignored by Picard multiple times and shuttled aside who then joined on this expedition in season two and died very quickly at the hand of Annika's alternate uh, future husband. Like, this doesn't well, make any sense for a character. So I really feel like we're getting another Disney death here. I, I wrote in my notes, uh, Picard abandons Elnor for the final time. <laughs> and it was just kind of like... <laughs> Uh, but it's funny because yeah. like last week, you and I, were we were complaining about the cliffhanger. We were like, this is stupid. We all know Elnor's not going to die and well he does die and i'm like okay well now we know elnor is going to be brought back somehow and that's going to serve as raffi's motivation moving forward this is i don't know what to make of this cam good news bad news but um you know so far uh since the season one finale uh narik sochi and elnor who were the three most thankless characters uh they've all just kind of been pushed to the side as of now mm-hmm I yeah. don't know if that's because the writers kind of realized yeah, they're not working. Let's not try to make it work. We saw how much we had to really stretch to do that last season. Let's not pain the audience through this. Or are we going to get characters like Elnor or Sochi come back in a more organic way in which they're utilitarian characters? Like I, I like the idea of them not trying to just stuff them in to the storyline very inorganically, but it just kind of seems... Very strange how, like, we got zero closure with Narek. Uh, last time <laughs> we left Soji, she's hanging out on a planet with Deltons, so props to her. Like, that must Party be Party down. <laughs> Party <Yeah>. down. <laughs> and um, Elnor got shot in the chest, and uh, yeah, now he's stuck in the, uh, the La Serena's alt uh, crypt. You know, I'm just like, huh. Like, it, it, it's very bizarre how unceremoniously these characters have just kind of been shipped off so far. And if you had had Elnor get killed by the Borg Queen, I might buy it. Yeah. I might go, okay, there's 
seemingly some finality here because given the role the Borg Queen seems to be playing, um, pretty you know important character this season versus like this schmuck who shot him. It's like, give me a break. Like this feels like something meant to be undone, but they want the emotional hit of Raffi going through his death and talking about how much you know it impacted her and how this is going to drive her through the season. Elnor has not been so far a particularly interesting character. So it almost feels like the writers were like, look, we can't really make him work too well, but his death can mean something more over the course of a season than him in life would be. Well, the, the potential death fakeout, it kind of reminds me of what happened in uh, Discovery this past week as well. Yep. Yeah. And I think this one was a little more effective, I will say. Yeah. Yeah. I Look, I... I it's weird because we've only had like three episodes of Raffi caring about Elnor. That was not really a plot thread <laughs> in season one. But look, if she's at Starfleet Academy, he's a new cadet and, you know, his absolute candor gets in the way. She's like, I need to take him under my wing. I, I buy that, you know. And I also like that they are setting up the motivations very clearly for the characters as of now. Except uh, Q pops in, turns to Picard. And kind of uh, outlines like your main characteristic is fear, and I was that really like what he was known for like back in the day. It's just like I I just thought he was just a, a, a career driven man, and it, it just seems with like his mom and dad stuff that was brought up in the premiere, a lot of his met his motivations are just kind of getting like retconned to a certain degree. Yeah, I. Honestly, that felt like a weird insertion of a moment that didn't mean anything. Because it's like, yeah, he pops in and says, you know, that you're driven by fear or whatever. And it's like, huh? Like, okay. It felt like more of a reminder that Q is a presence this, this season than anything genuinely meaningful. Well, I, I think it's a reminder that they want to keep the theme going and, and Picard's motivation this season. And it's, it's just that we didn't know it the whole time, but he's just driven by fear. I... That's not what I get, though, from him. Like, look at an episode like Tapestry, in, in which, like, he had no fear as a young man, and he grew wiser for it, and he learned that if he... Well, I don't know, maybe I, I'm talking myself out of the old my own argument, but I guess by the end of Tapestry, we learned that, you know, uh, Picard is a little less reckless than he was back in the day, um, and that affects his decision-making. Maybe he's just become so... Uh, unreckless that uh, he belongs in that uh, blue stellar cartographer's uniform that we saw in uh, Tapestry as well. <laughs> and also, don't like many people become more fearful as they get older? So maybe yeah. there's a touch of, you know, exploring just what aging has done to Picard. And maybe, I, like, I don't think we've seen that within the show Star Trek Picard of this more fearful Picard, but... I'm willing to explore this. I just hope it's not just lip service of them mentioning this as a theme, kind of like the connection thing on Discovery. Like, I don't need characters to constantly yeah. <laughs> tell me how scared Picard is. Like, let's actually see it in action. Um, so we're only three episodes in. Hopefully this continues to evolve, but it's something to maybe pay some attention to as we go. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I thought the uh, Girardi assimilation sequence was cool. It went down different than what I thought. I thought we were going to be inside the Borg Queen's mind, uh, experiencing it with Girardi. I thought that would have been cooler. But I, I think, you know, uh, Agnes is uh, far and away the, the most improved character from season one. And I think he actually made 
The Borg Queen's scarier in this episode than she was in the previous one, but it did come at the expense of Gerardi outsmarting her, which I think just goes to, you know, uh, better establish Gerardi as kind of a uh, a character with agency uh, versus the one who had the, uh, the Romulan slash Vulcan mind melds uh, hypnotize her all last season. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed the sequence where she was plugged into the Borg Queen and like <laughs> talking about like her scared room and whatever. And I'm like, this feels like a classic actor's exercise <laughs> of yeah. going through these various emotions. <laughs> but like Alison Pill's a great actress, so it really worked for me. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I'm enjoying this, even at the same time, um, knowing how actorly some of the Star Trek actors can be and knowing that... <laughs> She was probably loving this, probably having a ball with it. Um, but it worked. And honestly, you're, you're saying the board queen was really scary in this. That scene where she's just walking on her arms, terrifying. Like, that is nightmare yeah. fuel stuff. So the fact that they can still find ways to make the board queen seem scary after many hours of, you know, exploration, both on, you know, in Star Trek First Contact and on Voyager, um, props to them that they found a way to do it. Well, the producers said they want to have more of these kind of exercises for actors, which is why uh, we saw in the previews for next episode, we have uh, Rios encountering a mime on the streets of uh, Venice <laughs> Beach, and uh, he'll be trapped in a box that uh, only he can see. Oh, okay. And they can also play The Floor is Lava. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that thank sort of you. thing. Yeah. Speaking of playing <laughs> stuff, uh, they went with California Dreams. Could they not get the rights to Randy Newman's I Love LA? Like, that is the song that I wanted oh. to hear. Um, especially, like, uh, okay, the moment where, like, they cut the uh, the needle, you know, like, and uh, Rios ends up landing in the, on the sidewalk in a very horrific manner. Like, it, that was, like, a funny beat. And then I got very, very concerned when I realized, oh no this is actually turning into an artificial subplot and by that it's a subplot not driven by interpersonal conflict but by outside forces and cam let me ask you this if you encounter a man unconscious in the streets who's actively bleeding is your first instinct to call an ambulance or is it to pick the stranger up and drag him for blocks <laughs> into a clinic well, the reality of um, L.A. here was questionable when you have, like, <laughs> brazen daylight gunpoint robberies also going on that seemed a little extreme and a little cartoonish. Um, but, you know, I, I agree with you. I would probably pull out my cell phone, which I have to imagine still exists, um, you know, two years from now, and call an ambulance. Oh, I thought you were going to say and go on TikTok and just, like, uh, oh, that videotape, too. like, Rios. Yeah, yeah. That too, that okay. too. Yeah, and also, like, the whole Rios going to the hospital thing i'm like yeah it's it's um you know it's pretty well-worn material but also what seems to be sort of this human connection potential romantic interest for rios boy that feels real familiar having seen star trek for the voyage home and also meeting rain robinson in um the uh voyager two-parter is it future tense is that what it was i, I always get it mixed up but i believe it's future tense the one with sarah silverman yeah, it's like, really? They couldn't even, like, swap up genders or something if they want to do this again? It felt very samey. I, I, I would generally 99% of the time agree with you, but uh, honestly, the the clinic doctor, um, I don't know if we got her last name, but Teresa, sh she was great, and she had, like, mm -hmm. real chemistry with uh, Rios. I'm just like, okay, so I can see them going somewhere, but don't we inevitably know where it's going? Like, unless you're, you know, uh, Dr. Jillian... 
uh, and you bamboozle <laughs> Kirk into taking you into the 23rd century, which I don't think is going to happen here. Um, you know, we kind of know where this plot line's going, right? Yeah, and this actress is uh, Sol Rodriguez, who I agree, like she has screen presence, but I don't know. I was wondering, could Rios stay behind? Okay, uh, and and the big concern though, and this is what they keep trying to build tension of, is is you can't do anything that would create like a butterfly effect and alter the timeline moving forward. Hmm. Yeah. Well. I don't know, because I'm flashing back, of course, to the um, Carbon Creek episode of Voyager, uh, or sorry, of Enterprise, where you had the Vulcan that stayed in the past. That didn't seem to cause too many problems. No, no, no that he did not stay in the past. Uh, he crashed. Oh, you're he right. Was a con- he was a contemporary Vulcan who crash landed on Earth. That's right. Yeah, I'm just thinking of it because yeah. it was a period piece episode. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, uh, well, I guess Rios would have to be very careful. Um, well, remember in Star Trek First Contact when they launched the escape pods? They, they had to launch them towards an abandoned tropical island so that would have zero contact with the rest of the world. Yeah. Like, they've made, like, a, a, a big effort to, like, say, no, you just, you can't do this. So I, I don't see Rios uh, staying behind uh, myself. Uh, you know, like, we'll see where it goes. But what we're getting right now is kind of this um, ice storyline, you know, with uh, the customs police and and for me i i don't think going in this direction is nearly as effective at least for universal audiences uh, as maybe the gabriel bell riots were in deep space nine and you know because there's kind of this allegory going on with the bell riots and the significance there whereas this is very much kind of more that that surface level like um how immigration uh authorities are, are being quite abusive to uh, people in society and so i i think it's a worthy topic to explore but i i just don't know if we're going to be able to mine that uh you know as people that don't necessarily as let's be honest like two white guys in canada that don't necessarily feel that uh on a day-to-day basis you know like it's going to help us um you know kind of relate uh, and feel sympathy but i i just thought that kind of the bell riots delving into the inequity that was going on i, I think the inequity is something that's uh more kind of uh more of a universal story that all societies could kind of relate to and not not to diminish what they're doing with the you know with immigration and all that but i just i don't know if this one's going to necessarily work for me i guess we'll have to see how it plays out and i'm also just wondering is the show going to like delve into this or is it going to be kind of yep this is a thing moving on to the next plot point and that's something that picard did a lot last season so i don't know i can only wait and see if they can make it compelling and weighty then it could work but yeah it feels like the kind of thing where i'm like okay i gotta really wait and see on this one it's always go 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 with a show you know like yeah we can scratch the surface on something but we've got another plot point that we have to hop over to yeah it really does yeah speaking of which um this la excursion i am very very concerned that this is going to go beyond like a three episode arc because I feel like, okay, I can handle it if this is episode one and we need a middle episode and then we need kind of to wrap things up in episode three. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I'm very fearful that we could spend uh, the vast majority of the season here in Los Angeles uh, searching for the Watcher, uh, the MacGuffin of the season so far. I don't necessarily think this is going to be the most compelling way to use our characters who I, I think... Uh, 
all the characters have been improved markedly since you know season one so this is why look this is a perfectly watchable episode but it ultimately left me very um fearful about where we might be going the rest of season two i i don't have nearly as much uh, goodwill for the series as i did after three episodes of season one for example yeah and i i was modestly positive on this episode so i'm not going to slag it too much but it is frustrating in the sense that like this isn't just not a show meant to be watched like week to week no it's really not and you know this one again ends with sort of a built-in cliffhanger the way the previous one did and it's like okay well i gotta wait till next week to get any sort of resolution to that moment um and continue onwards and i was gonna ask by the way did you notice there was like a weird like mid-episode like cliffhanger with the board queen and picard where there was an actual cut it was so weird you know it is kind of weird about how they're having these act breaks go you know like i it's i I think it's more noticeable uh on discovery in which it kind of cuts to black um this one didn't pop out to me but i can totally believe that it was there because again it, it, it airs I think it's done because it airs on like the Space Channel, or I, I should say the CTV Sci-Fi Channel here in Canada, and so they have to kind of cut it this way uh, for whatever reason. And I don't think it's just for Canadian audiences. I mean, I watch this on streaming, uh, so I don't know. It, it is a little strange, though. Yeah, because there's a moment where the Borg Queen says "Hello, Locutus," and it cuts. Well, it doesn't. It's like a yeah cut. And it's like basically just jumps forward like a second and it's the same st- shot of Patrick Stewart just a second in the future. So he's moved and it continues on with the scene. It's insane. That's so strange. I was like, what the hell was that? Well, it, uh, so uh, with Mad Men, when it was airing, the uh, creator of the show, he was just like, no, we're not going to do these artificial act breaks. You know, when it is on DVD or when it is on streaming all the scenes are just going to flow into each other. We're not going to have like, uh, you know, uh, the, the music swell and the tension rise and you have to come back after commercial. So uh, I, you, you can watch an episode of Mad Men right now. And uh, despite the fact that commercials aired when it was originally on, it doesn't feel like that if you're watching it on, say, Netflix or you're grabbing your, your Blu-rays or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know why Picard and Discovery yeah. just don't follow that model. It's weird. It's weird because it seems like they aspire to be, like, some sort of prestige TV, but, like, they are structuring their show like it's prime time with commercial breaks often. It's very strange. I don't understand. Yeah. Um, do you want to jump over to the, the big spoilery news? Or actually, before that, I don't know, Cam, any thoughts on The Watcher, uh, the significance, or what th- this MacGuffin is going to be? I mean, it's kind of like Species 10C. It could be anything, and I just hope it doesn't drag it out torturously like Species 10C, where it can't really deliver anything that's genuinely going to wow me. But uh, I-, I do think like the Brent Spiner thing is kind of hanging over this. I, I think that's entirely possible. I also yeah. want to just note, sorry, and I want you to, I want to hear your answer to this to that question as well. But um, this episode is directed by Leah Thompson, which is sort of notable. Back to the Future, you know. I don't get it, Cam. <laughs> okay, Elnor. <laughs> McFly. Yeah. Is anyone up there? <laughs> no. But what about you in terms of the Watcher? 
uh, so I'll be honest. Um, you know me. I am completely averse to spoilers. I avoid them wherever they go. So I, I think it hasn't been spoiled for me explicitly, but I, I think I know who the Watcher is, and my reaction is like, yeah, okay, you know. So there yeah, you go. that's all I'll say. Okay. So, yeah. I, and again, for listeners, I don't I don't know this as a fact. When we find out, I'll let you know if my guess is correct. But I, I think I think it was spoiled for me, uh, and it kind of irks me. I'll explain the circumstances uh, just so it doesn't happen to anybody else. Or actually, no, I, I don't want to do that because then when it happens, I'll, I'll explain all people. So there's my cliffhanger for subspace transmissions. Spoiler: It's Sue Cow. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> uh. Yeah, that's why they could detect you know, some radiation uh, with their tricorders, right? That's right. That's right. It's all going to pay off perfectly. <laughs> um, Cam, big Star Trek news uh, that came out this week. Uh, so and I think this is spoilery for Strange New Worlds Season 2. Not not Season 1, Season 2. So I'll give you folks a minute to skip ahead, like, I don't know, five or six minutes if you don't want any spoilers. But uh, there you go. Cam, we already have one Captain Kirk, and I'm not talking Lieutenant. I'm not talking Commander. One Captain James T. Kirk has been cast in Strange New Worlds Season 2, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little baffled. It is going to be played by one Paul Wesley, who I did not know this until my girlfriend told me. He is a big effing deal. Um, this man has like 12 million Instagram followers. He was uh, kind of hot stuff with the Vampire Diaries. I think this is a, a big catch for Strange New Worlds. Um as president of the Paul Wesley fan club, uh, what can you tell me about him, Cam? Well, I also realized he's, you know, producer, director. He's directed quite a bit of TV as well. So he has a fairly long um, list of credits, none of which I'm familiar with. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, more broadly, though, uh, what do you... Okay, I'm very confused about the timeline here because the way I do the math in my head, like, I, I thought that, like, uh, it would have been, like... Kirk as a lieutenant during this period where I'm assuming Strange New Worlds is taking place. Yeah, I would have thought the same. And Paul Wesley's older than Shatner was when he started TOS. And that's not a big deal that, you know, no, whatever no. ages he, he are whatever. Ten, but he probably looks 10 years younger. He's just, you know, people age differently back then too. That's true. That's true. But um, I really did in my mind picture like a younger Kirk. Like I thought we might see cadet kirk or something like that on the show um cadet so, uhura it's yeah like, like hey I, I became captain you're still stuck as a lieutenant even though we graduated in the same class yeah i thought that might be where they would go with that character so no i just i for me i i pictured it would have been kind of the farragut era for kirk you know that's yes. just what i had in my head you know yes i am right on the same page with you i thought we would have maybe a kirk from the farragut and I did wonder if we would have Gary Mitchell coming back and have Kirk and Gary Mitchell together in an episode or something. We still could, you know. We, we could. did get the we USS could. Gary shout out in the finale of Discovery, so there you go. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm wondering about. And I'm also just really curious to see how much Kirk actually does on a season of this show. Like, is this like a one episode kind of thing? Is this going to be a role throughout season two? None of those questions are known right now, but uh, the answers to those questions. But I'm, in my mind, I always figured if they brought Kirk over, it would be near the end of the series, really, um, but also in a very limited role. 
do you think they're kind of saying, hey, Anson Mounts, you want to sign up for three seasons? That's your obligation. You can go pursue other things. And like, I just wonder if this is far, you know, further along in the timeline than we expected. You know, I, I figured this would be taking place right after the events of Discovery Season 2. This might be taking yeah. place, you know, like seven years after the events of Discovery Season 2, which could put it very close to where, you know, Kirk, Kirk takes over uh, the ship. Maybe it, maybe the final two seasons of Strange New Worlds, if it, if it goes, you know, it's, you know that far, I, maybe it gets to five seasons. Maybe those final two seasons, they're with Kirk, not Pike. And... You know, um, I don't know. It's interesting, though. I, I, I just, we got so much great stuff out of Pike. Like, I could totally, like, I, I would be disappointed if we don't get, like, full five seasons with him as the anchor for the show, right? We, we, well, yeah. You know, I don't know what to, like, because then again, like, we only got three seasons of Kirk back in the day as well. Yeah, and I also feel like we've explored Kirk so much um and very well like you really can't complain too much about you know seeing Shatner deal with that character for decades plus Chris Pine and there's going to be another Chris Pine film like I don't need that much more Kirk whereas Anson Mount to me was such a revelation in season two Discovery that I just want to have him just leading a show for a while and spend time with that character because you know Pike is not like a hugely well-defined character in yeah. Star Trek canon. So, like, let's spend the time getting to know him until we can launch my much-desired Robert April um, series as well. But, uh, no, like, I would just <laughs> like to see more Christopher Pike. Like, you know, I, I don't want to get distracted by Kirk and other shiny objects. It's enough that I got Ahura. I got, obviously, Spock's there. You know, we knew that would be the case. But it's like, now I've got Cadet Ahura. I don't need all these tie-ins to TOS I'm fine with them popping in occasionally, but I just want to focus on Pike and number one, two characters who are really interesting and underexplored. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, just with regards to the the look of Kirk, uh, you kind of alluded to it, but um, look, I, it's not like Chris Pine is a, a ringer for Shatner, but he really captured the essence of Kirk, I, I think, especially in the 2009 film. All, all that matters to me is Paul Wesley is able to capture the essence of Kirk. You know, maybe a, a younger um less wise kirk you know that that could be fun so i don't know I, i'm looking forward to the introduction of this character i'm hoping it's more of kind of a sporadic character appearances you know throughout the the run of the series i i don't need like a full season arc you know very much so how i i loved it when like you know, pike joined discovery for a full season i don't need that from kirk though no and i also don't want to be too in depth of the building relationship between him and spock like, I'm okay, you know, kind of having some nods in that direction, and then we can just move into TOS, the series where they're friends. I don't want to get too distracted with that. I'd prefer to focus on the relationships of, you know, Pike and Number One and other characters like that. Uh, well, speaking of nods, we did get the Season 2 Discovery finale where Burnham said something along the lines, you know, brother, you need to find somebody who will be your guiding light as well. And it's like, okay. I think we know who you're talking about. Do you think when <laughs> when Kirk, you know, walks onto the bridge or beams onto the bridge or whatever, that Spock has a flashback to Burnham saying that? <laughs> I, I, I would laugh, uh, but it would make me annoyed just as somebody who doesn't like being talked down to when watching television. You know, I, I hate so much of the, you know, when you're watching like a movie and they have to flash back to something that happened like 25 minutes ago. 
I'm like, oh, come on. I, I get the significance there. Like, and for those that don't get the significance, they'll probably figure it out. So, yeah. I mean, we're going to be waiting quite a while to find out how this Kirk thing pays off, given that Strange <laughs> New Worlds hasn't even premiered yet. But 18 uh, months. <laughs> something to look forward to. Yeah. Something to look <laughs> forward to. <laughs> okay. So, I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. And of course, next week we will be tackling the fourth episode of season two, Picard. Yeah. In the meantime, I'd urge anyone out there that likes the show, please just, uh, it's a free show. Go give us five stars on your podcatchers. Even better, leave us a review, uh, especially if it's positive. It just helps more people find the show. It boosts our algorithm. And again, it's free. This is all we're charging you is a little bit of time and energy. Definitely. Okay, you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V as in Vulcan, mind-melding with a window, Smith. You can you can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N, N as in Newton, comma, Randy. I love L.A. <laughs> I was really hoping they'd play California Love on Picard. That would be funnier. <laughs> yeah, there, there's so many of those uh, songs, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. He knows I'm gonna stay California dreaming I'm such a winner's day Transfer complete.